remind you to remember the day of horseless carriages and divorceless marriages. Dear Miss Garland, I presume that in your memory you've enough room to reach infinity or that vicinity. My heart booms like it has. Hello and welcome to the In My Defense podcast. I'm your host, Christian, and this is the show where I bring on a guest to geek out over a subject of their choice, no matter how broad or niche it might end up being. This week, my guest is David Hepburn. Dave is yet another member of the Black Improv Alliance, a group doing terrific things in the improv community. Uh, Definitely look them up if you get the chance. And the subject of Dave's choice is season one, episode six of Lovecraft Country, titled Meet Me in Daegu, or Daigu. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, somebody please correct me. I was so happy when Dave reached out to me interested in discussing the show, this episode, and its themes. I really enjoyed watching Lovecraft Country on HBO when it was released, and I was looking forward to any excuse to express my feelings about it on the show. It feels needless to say so, but spoiler alert for Lovecraft Country, we discuss episode 6 in depth and also bring up several plot points across the season, including the finale. So if you haven't seen the show, what are you doing? So many of us are stuck at home at the time of this recording and you're going to do something with your time that isn't watching the show. I highly recommend it. I believe Lovecraft Country is a show that while it is not made for everybody, it is definitely a show that everybody should watch. So pause this episode, grab a snack, grab a few snacks actually, make a day of it and tune into some cosmic horror. When you're done, tune in to this lovely conversation with me and David on Meet Me in Daegu. I am here with uh, one of my friends, David Hepburn. Say hi to everybody, David. What's up? Hey, everybody. (laughs) David Hepburn here live. Well, not exactly live, but you know what I mean. Virtually live. I believe I'm live. Who knows? Watching this show, everything's supernatural. Anything's possible. I might be in a multiple dimension or universe. Who knows? I'm not sure. We'll figure it all out. But for now, I'm just going to say hello. That is the kind of energy that I really want someone bringing to this episode because we are talking about something really fantastic. We are talking about the show Love uh, Lovecraft Country, uh, specifically the sixth episode of season Ooh. one. Meet me in Daegu. Uh, yeah, so wild. Mm. One. Uh, <laughs> uh, why? So, David, this was your idea. You approached me about talking about this episode. Why did you want to talk about this episode specifically? <sighs> This episode hit different for me. Um, When I first heard the rumblings of uh, Lovecraft Country, I saw a trailer just by chance and I thought, oh, cool. This is going to be my new um, HBO show, like True Blood. 
it gave me the vibe of, oh, this will be the new True Blood. It's supernatural. What? Black folks? Yes. Give me more of that. Um, and the supernatural and just great stars. And it just looked like this is cool and interesting. And I'm totally in because I love ritual. I love having a routine. I love having um, some kind of a show that you get to kind of come in and watch over and over again. Maybe it's part of me being an 80s baby. And, you know, everybody has some sort of a history of something that you get to galvanize around and sit around and watch this thing and keep coming back to it so I like that so I was hopeful I was very hopeful the first few episodes I thought were wildly uneven um, where there were moments that were great but then there was lots of filler and there was lots of you know everything didn't quite coalesce and everything didn't quite hit so you know it was always interesting the one thing I would have to commend the show on is it's always striving to do something admirable that even when it's not a perfect episode and even when it's not in its totality successful per se as far as uh hitting me in a certain kind of way it always is reaching for something uh substantial in a way that most shows aren't and uh it's still pretty clear early in that this is a very special show at a very particular time and it is doing things that most shows don't dare attempt uh so it's always admirable but um this 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 episode immediately became my favorite episode and for me it was a perfect episode and i almost want to call it meet me in deja vu because this was one of those things that i watched and i thought to myself did i write this episode <laughs> is there a term for that like i don't know if there's an actual term for when you see something creative and when you look at it you're like somehow in another dimension or at another time i wrote this or i created this or i sculpted this or i shot this i know i did i just can't prove it i know i know there's sometimes there's parallel thinking something sometimes sometimes that happens where like two different where those two different stories that basically have the same plots are just released around the same time we had that over a few over a couple decades with like armageddon and uh uh what's the what's the other one impact uh deep impact or uh, deep impact coming around the same time it happens every once in a while every once we see that when like two different ideas are being released around the same time based on like whatever thoughts are going on through the zeitgeist and i'm sure that happened with this just because lovecraft country came out in a time where like there's so many uh where racial racial contentions are so prevalent in the news nowadays especially over the last few months since everybody was like stuck at home and people were going and like with violence and what's happening in the world and everything today the the thoughts the thoughts are coming up like how do we how do we take the power back how like i think those are the ideas that this show is playing around with like how do we come back from abuse within our family or from or from the world or how do we how, how do we uh how do we deal with our own insecurities and monstrosities that we put out into the world how do we come back from that uh and and, and how do we take take the situations that we've been in and put it out into the world in a positive way. I think those are the kind of themes that this show plays around with uh, very often. So when it ends, what, what turned you around on this episode in particular? In particular, this tapped deep into what I'm going to call the hopeful romantic in me. Um, I kind of like to call this discussion uh, Black Love and the Hour of Chaos because I keep going back to these images of ultimately two people and again this is a deviation from the Atticus and Letty story which I, I just I, I love I love seeing a black woman who is just down for her man and vice versa a black man who is willing to give his life for his woman again these are 
you know, classic historical romantic ideals, there are biblical illusions, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the idea of two people who just love each other against all odds and literally in the face of utter catastrophe just hits me in such a visceral way. And I'm here for it and I'm standing for it. And this did it in this episode because it tackled something that I think is I've always been fascinated with the concept of you know, love conquers all. And that's kind of the, you know, cliche. But as a writer, the idea of having two lovers who literally have to overcome the impossible in order for the two of them to connect and find love. And here I thought they did it in a poignant manner and in a very brave and bold manner. And the show is good for um, doing the literal, but then also having all of the layers. Um, It's very meta, but it just, it finds a way to get all all of the different notes and all of the music and the orchestration of uh, getting an idea across from, you know, being very on the nose to then having some really cerebral underlying subtext. And I and I and I, again, I applaud it. And they, they really did it well here in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent. Uh, there. So some details about the show and this episode in particular so uh creator of lovecraft country it's an hbo original show creator is misha green and she's also Mm -hmm. the head writer on the show uh one of the notable producers is jordan peele yeah who we've heard of who's making a big name who started out in colony but is now making a big name he's making a splash he's making a small splash in hollywood oh and uh, a fun fact that i'm looking at just on imdb right now uh this is one of the highest rated episodes of the season. I think it's... Ah, you don't say. It's, huh. uh, it's tied with uh, Jigaboo, which was the... Uh, 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 was, Jigabobo. Was the, Jigabobo, sorry. Was, Gotta be oh, careful out here in these streets. Oof. Sorry, yeah. that was my bad. Uh, that was that was the decentered episode, which was a couple later. And then the only episodes that top it, I think, are the first one. Huh. What are y'all thinking? What are y'all thinking? <laughs> Shame to yourselves. Let me see. But this one was written. The teleplay was by Misha Green and let me see the other and Kevin Lau. Kevin Lau. Yes, that was right. Yes. The other thing I found fascinating about this to find that the director was Helen Schaefer. Yes. Um, which really I didn't even know she was directing, and I particularly imprint on her from The Color of Money, which is one of my favorite films. And she plays Paul Newman, also known as Fast Eddie Felson's love interest in that. So to see that she's out here doing some quality ass work, uh, <laughs> Helen Schaefer, God bless you, daughter. Um, and then this episode, some interesting things about it, like you, you talk about it being different from the rest of the season so far, which I think is very true because like one of the, uh, when you get into one of the first things that like, we don't see the main character of the show until like halfway through. No, I think no. I think Atticus comes in like minute 28. <laughs> and boy, does he come in blazing, puns intended. Um, the other thing that's funny is when I saw the lead up to this, I was like, oh, shit, we're going to have to go to Korea and it's going to be political. And I mean, again, I'm not knocking that. And this is nothing against the culture at all. It's just that it felt like it was going to be um, sort of a documentary type departure where we're going to get into just a lot of stuff that was just going to be a lot less fun. I thought. Yeah, because they've um, been teasing. Well, they've been teasing like the, these details for a while, right? Like ever since yeah. like the very first episode, we see Tick having like his his the opening the opening yeah. scene is him during the Kore- the Korean War, but like it's thrown yeah. in with all the, like the Cthulhu imagery and all like other kind of stuff, right. and, and him calling Gia on the phone while they're at the Braithwaite House. 
mm-hmm. uh, checking in on her. Like, so he's there's something about his experience in Korea that we've seen so far that is haunting him to a certain degree, and we're what we're left wondering what it was. We even get like uh, the whole illusion of Gia attacking him and trying to kill him while he's in the yes. White House. And, mm-hmm. and apparently, like, these were visions of people that uh, the three main characters at that time, like, they were seeing visions of people that they loved. Mm-hmm. So we knew we knew that Tick loved G- loved whoever Gia was, um, but for some reason was seeing her attacking him, whereas uh, Le- uh, Letty had had visions of Tick and them mm-hmm. being together. And then George had uh, visions of Tick's mom coming in. Right. And so, like, when we get to episode six, finally, and we see why that is, uh, it makes a lot more sense now going back. Oh, it explains a hell of a lot. Um, Because they have been laying some serious breadcrumbs, and those tense, mysterious phone calls um, to a unnamed uh, Korean woman uh, have been haunting to say the least and uh, he got the hell up out of there for some reason and mm-hmm. this is the episode that explodes that all out so yeah this this brought so much to light and again we depart first of all I mean there is your prestige episode in the prestige show where you decide you know what we're just gonna leave this and go to a whole another country or continent and depart from everything we've been doing we're not gonna worry about any of the other other characters and give this person their little you know their their cell episode so it it immediately distinguishes itself like you said and then by the time tick comes into play well first of all they set this thing up in a theater to begin with Mm -hmm. so let's speak to the cinephile in me you open in a movie theater i get all these illusions of cinema paradiso you see this wide-eyed man ingenue who is captivated by the silver screen and the the magic of that and again we don't have to get into the whole thing of the projection of the mind and all this other stuff but just it's beautiful and i feel like i'm watching a foreign film and it has all of the whimsy and the beauty of you know watching these other just all these other things so cinema paradiso kept playing in my head but then when the two perverts decided to leave the theater in my head i said this is a perfect time for an old school mgm dance number and when she goes into the choreography i was like okay either they accepted me or this is like some type of choose your own adventure show and i am directing this show Uh, sh- uh, yeah, big shout outs to uh, Jamie Chung for my the God, scene there. Um, my God, she's done some 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 award worthy work in this episode in particular. But uh, the the direct the directing is done really well too because I like it's it's almost kind of heartbreaking when you see it. The dance number is all in her head and she's just kind of like watching oh my God, there. oh my God, it's it's it it, it is gut wrenching and she is stoic. She is a statue there watching this and all of that is playing inside of her. And again, the illusion of her being this person or this thing or this spirit or entity that is trapped inside of someone that cannot, you know, actually relieve itself, that can't be ex- um, exhumed or whatever, just can't get out, but also is is living vicariously. There's a, yeah, there's a few themes that this episode plays with that the, the whole show touches on throughout. Um, but I think you're absolutely right in saying like the whole, the, the, the one that's up front, the one that everyone can see is that love conquers all, which I love also. Like any anytime like the, the, the villain loses thanks to the power of friendship or the power of love, oh. I am down with that 100%. I want, I want that more in my cinema. Uh, I'm tired in my of, life. In my life also. Like I'm tired <laughs> of the dark and gritty. I'm tired of uh, oh, nihilism. Yeah, I'm tired of that being cool. I want, I want 
I want people just to be doing their best and to work things out at the end of the day because that that is the fantasy, right? Because that's the thing that yeah. we should all be striving for. We know <laughs> I'm already well aware that in the real world, things a lot of the time turn out to be shit. <laughs> right. And, and so like if if my media, if the media that I that I consume can show me a world where trying your best and loving and being kind can actually work out in the end, that is all I ask for. Thank you. And I, and also that scene where we see her and realize that it's all a fantasy that's just playing in her head also made me say, if life were but a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you yeah, know? She, she's doing the same thing that we're doing, basically. Like, yes, she absolutely. Is, she is, yeah, like you said, living vicariously through uh, the movies that she watches. Big shout outs to Garland. Big shout outs to Judy Garland. And meet me in St. Louis. Or St. Louis. Don't want to mm-hmm. piss somebody off. I know there's a difference. <laughs> St. Louis. What an open, yeah, man! Uh, and then we find out later on, like, uh, why why is she so stoic, right? Why? Because uh, another theme that this uh, episode in particular is trying to get across is that what makes you a monster isn't necessarily what you do, but what you strive for, or like, or just or just because you've done terrible things does not mean does that does not make you. It does not make you a monster. It does not make you who you are. You choose that at the end of the day. Because uh, we find out later on that Gia, uh, this character Gia, um, that she is a Kumiho. Basically, she is, she uh, when when she, when she when Gia was a little girl, uh, her she was sexually assaulted by her stepfather, I think it was. Correct. Mm-hmm. And her mother summoned, her, her mother goes to the uh, Mundang or the, or the local shaman. Mudang and summons a Kumiho to inhabit the body of her daughter and to get revenge. And so like the first person the Kumiho, the Kumiho kills is the stepfather, but her daughter won't become human again until she consumes uh, 99, 100, 100 yeah, 100 souls total, 99 more male souls uh, when she has sex with them. Um, so uh and that that is the driving force of this episode right like her mother her mother's like they have this whole thing planned out like uh gia will seduce a man bring him home they have a whole room full of candles i'm always like that if, if, I, if well i've always i knew you know something weird is going on just because like she brings that japanese guy home and like the, when she brings him home the room is already lined with candles all around yeah Almost, almost like it's a um, internment. Uh, yeah, and- like like somebody's body is about to be prepared to be sacrificed and delivered uh, to. <laughs> to the gods for consumption. Yeah, like no matter how beautiful you are, I'm asking questions when I walk into the room when that happens. Um, and and then and then when and then they they do the deed, they 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 have sex, and then when the man comes to climax. Uh, as he's coming to climax, several tails start coming out of Gia's body, wrapping around him. And let's, let's let's back this up a little bit because I think I do want to delve a little bit into unpacking the original conceit that the mom had. So her daughter, first of all, the mom was targeted apparently by the man who became her husband, which became Gia's um, stepfather, mm-hmm. knowing that they were they had affluence, had lost that, and then also lost respect in the community and you know, by having this man come in, that they would be able to reestablish their status. Um, The idea that consuming his soul now means that she also has absorbed his memories means that this little girl who was violated now has to live with not only the memory of being violated, but now also the memory of the violator. 
Mm-hmm. And like, there's it's talk about wild. yeah, and there was talk about Gia not have actually having the memories of the little girl. Like she she sings a song to her mother's song, but it turns right. out like that was a song that her stepfather sung to her. But like, it's 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 one of those things where we don't know what's true or what's not, right? Because we don't know exactly how much the Kumiho remembers from uh, the little girl. And how much is strictly from the stepfather? Because uh, because there's always talk about like you have no emotion, you're a monster, you can't mm-hmm. you can't you don't understand what it's like to be human. But we we see that Gia can learn all that, and that it was all it was probably all there from the beginning. And the only reason why uh, her she thought of herself as a monster was because her mother kept telling her that she was a monster. Um, right. I guess I'm just thinking this the concept though of women and their bodies and the idea of the violence that has been brought upon from um the worst case scenario, uh your men your what's supposed to be your mentor that becomes your tormentor. And then to have to digest that and live with that but then also have the kind of become uh, it's just like like an, an additional violence of now having to to become the person who committed that violence i think this whole concept of you know i want to become the monster in order to save myself from being the victim has always been problematic to me and i don't think that it is i don't think that it is a the most excellent solution um and i think that that is kind of well depicted here because she changes status and becomes you know again becomes the monster but at what cost yeah um and uh, the perpetuation i think of that is still we're still in the same nightmare mm-hmm. which is it's just the roles change yeah nothing nothing nothing's gotten better like there's still the same amount of monsters in the situation after like it's one of those things like if you if you kill them if you kill a murderer the, um, the, the amount of murderers in the world is still the same right um, right if, if, so, you, if you kill a monster there's still the same amount of monsters out there uh and yeah i think and those are the themes and uh, i'm this i'll definitely bring up something a little bit later about about that theme of becoming the monster or trying to or trying or trying to uh, ignore that violence and and see and end up finding it somewhere else uh this because that definitely comes up in this episode and it is definitely something that is a theme throughout the whole season and again, uh, things so as far as this being a landmark episode, they did nothing to set up or very little to set up this nine tail fox, mm-hmm. uh, the spirit <laughs> of this community. Uh, I did not expect what happened. <laughs> and it was gloriously outrageous and mind blowing um, the way it happens. Uh, the one thing I did notice is that when she was doing the speed dating and when she ultimately ends up going to the bar where she picks up this gentleman she does i believe have on a fox bracelet ah i did yeah i know i rewatched the episode this morning i still didn't notice that nice um, touch yeah yeah it's 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 shock in the yeah. best possible way <laughs> which i think it's, it's something that this show got really good at right because like uh they established early on that you know there's ma- their magic does exist in the world yes um not everyone well most people are not aware of it but there is still like a culture of magic and we see that throughout throughout America, through, through in the in, when the show's in America, and then we see that here too. So like wh- whether humanity is, I don't know about I don't know about the I don't know if the show will ever get into these kind of details, but wh- whether humanity is ignoring the magic or if there's some active force like veiling all this mm-hmm. all these things from from sight. Uh, I'm sure the sh- the show might go in that direction later on, but uh, we are both surprised and then also not surprised <laughs> because we, yeah because we know because yeah. we because we know. Know anything can happen right 
And then when we see something happen, it's like, oh, my God, that can happen. <laughs> yeah, it's just again, I I felt good also because I had seen um, a depiction of the the Ninetale Fox in an anime. So I was like, oh, I've seen this, um, but never quite realized to this degree. Um, and just again, just exceptionally well done. It was horrifying and I mean, hats off to the special effects team. I was trying to find out if they had like an actual name of a particular team, um, but there's so many people to name and I didn't see any collective, but the, the effects are astounding. Uh, the cinematography is gorgeous. Again, the actors are all top notch, but that scene, man. Because like while while Jamie Chung is a beautiful actress and a beautiful person, like the, the tales themselves are like, they're made of a furry, long, thin strands of they're fur. It's like, yeah. yeah, they're they're straight up like, and not even they're like mangy tails coming out of her. Yeah, with and, teeth, I think in them. Oh man, and and like the and the ones that come out of her eyes and go onto the other guy's eyes, as, and like they just kind of encapsulate like such half a his face. Yeah, it's 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 terrifying, and. It's funny because like we, you might not even think it was a nine-tailed fox from the beginning, just because like the nine-tailed fox is a prevalent image in like Eastern cultures. Like you see it in Japan mm-hmm. and Korea, even in Naruto, um, right? Yeah, there's yeah. a nine-tailed fox, I think. Yeah, yeah, and like there's a, there's there's the, the, a Pokemon called Nine Tails. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's an image that a lot of people are familiar with, but those images are usually very beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see the image of the nine-tailed fox, and it's like and it's this tall statuesque figure and with white fur, and it's elegant. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we and then we see this version of it and yeah it is very much a monster it is and 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 at the at the end of the scene when she's wrapping up when she's wrapping up this guy like he he, he just explodes in a pool of blood no organs it just becomes absolute viscera just, just becomes liquidized oh man it is it is beautifully macabre especially oh. when the mother comes in and she just starts cleaning oh yeah very <laughs> yeah. casual this was, very casual <laughs> this was number oh yeah well number 98 okay and then just start yeah. pull, bring out the bucket and just start I wiping take, the floor i do take art with the mom because the mom comes in with like a, a face rag and like a toothbrush and I'm like you're going to be there a while <laughs> like there has to be at this point you know we're at 99 you should have a better system than this Uma I mean really because this <laughs> is this is laughable. We got we we to see if any of those like those uh, dirt devils or those fancy vacuum cleaners are made in the 1950s. <laughs> Listen, if she can light candles from one candle, that's the part that would have caught my attention. When she lit one candle and then all the candles went up together, I was like, okay, uh, we may need to have a conversation <laughs> or take the show on the road, whichever. Um, but yeah, those nine tails and nine orifices, do the math. It is disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and then later on, when it so as the, as the episode continues and we get to know Gia a little bit more, um, yeah, they, the, her conversations with her mom and like I think the first conversation that we see in the episode we uh, we skipped it was her was her mom getting kimchi. getting the kimchi ready and mm-hmm. it and it seemed like a perfectly normal conversation like. It is really it, it. They really disarmed us well mm-hmm. um, because they they don't show their hand yet. They're still giving us foreshadowing. You know what yeah, I mean? Uma, that kimchi looks. Uma just becomes the the doting mother who wants yes. to marry off her daughter and her That's daughter it. and her and her daughter. Uh, we think we think of her daughter as just this person who might have grander plans for her future and doesn't necessarily want, just want to get with a man right away. But she's doing it for her mother. You mm-hmm. know, she's a old. Disney princess at the yeah. beginning. 
Yeah, totally, totally. And yeah. and and so like that's I think that's what catches us the most off guard, right? Like when we get to the when we get to that nine tail scene later on. Because um, again, they they played it so well that you just assume she's trying to get these gentlemen suitors. Mm-hmm. Um and, and then this again, this other illusion of prostitution, which is, is, is I think is another thing that that comes in, whether it's intentional or not. Uh but yeah. So we that scene changes the game completely. Yeah, and and another cool thing about this episode is that like all this is in Korean. Like nobody is nobody speaking English unless they're they're talking to someone who doesn't speak Korean. Basically, yeah, beautiful. Uh, so like the first half of this episode is just all in subtitles. It's very uh, inglorious bastards where. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. Everyone is speaking a language that they would be speaking in these situations. And again, and it, 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 it is authentic, or at least it feels authentic. Um, but it still also makes us. It puts us outside. We're still outside watching, so we still get the same thing about you know the idea of being trapped inside of a body, um, looking through the projector in the lens of your eyes to see all this other stuff that's playing. But we are now, as the viewer, outside of a thing that we can't connect to. But uh, one of the one of the beautiful things one of the things one of my favorite things about subtitles and one of the things that makes it mo- more difficult for me to watch like longer series that are in su- that are subtitled is because when you're when you have to read the dialogue it forces you to pay attention you have to you have you're taking in every single word that people are saying because like you can't be you can't be distracted with you can't be distracted on your phone while watching the first half right. of this episode you have to know who these people are and bring and i think it does br- it, it it bring it helps bring you in like yes it's a situation that you might not be able to relate to but this show as we've seen is very good at telling the stories of people people in in an entertaining way even if you might not relate to them immediately because like it's almost like learning a foreign language yeah with the but, subtitles yeah and like i think for, and about like the whole show in general like i think i really mm-hmm. want to say about lovecraft country is that this show is very much about the black experience mm-hmm. the uh, well in america at the very least and 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 it's talking about like these like unequivocally black people uh american black people and and can, can i i'm gonna get i'm gonna get like honest and vulnerable with you for a second david i really mm-hmm. wanted to talk about this show on uh on this podcast but there was no way that i could I'm, I'm so glad you approached me about it because there was no way <laughs> i was gonna go up to somebody and be like look i because i can't i can't talk about this show without having someone who's black on the show and so because i don't feel like i don't i didn't feel like I, there's no way that i could uh bring that knowledge and depth to it right and so when i couldn't and i couldn't go up to one of my friends and be like hey uh, i need a black person can you be black on this show for me? <laughs> there was no way that that was ever going to work out for me there was no way so it's funny I, because I i've listened to you. other people who have said like they've wanted to comment like uh so i, I heard someone on a podcast uh and he was like he wanted to comment on things but just he, he, he could not do it he can't he can't do it and then even just like you know some of the titles it's almost like you can't even say the title you'd have to have somebody else on there so that you can have license to say the title it is unequivocally black for sure um but i don't but i also don't think that that means that the show is unapproachable for someone it's who not inaccessible no yeah. not at all because not at all uh i've said people before this show is is not made for everybody but it's something that everybody should watch absolutely yeah but you definitely uh can't come in if if, if you're gonna have <laughs> if you're gonna be sensitive um and you're gonna wear a thin veil of white privilege uh this may not be the show for you for sure yeah, for, yeah. Um, but that's not the show's fault yeah it's not the show's fault at all the show is trying to say something here and i and i think it succeeds on a lot of those fronts back into the episode as the show continues uh we see more gia's life we see her working in the hospital uh become becoming a nurse uh she meets uh what's the name of her friend oh young ja young 
Ja, yeah. She meets uh, Young Ja, who seems to be someone who wants to get to know Jia, and that makes it easier for Jia to get into that relationship. I don't know. The relationship seemed... It seemed very flirty to me at the beginning. Very for flirty, sure. yeah, for sure. Like, I, like Jia has that, has that line about... Um, our, our mothers our mothers wanting what's best for them but not necessarily what's best for us and she's doing that while caressing right. Gia's hand yeah uh, whether whether that was meant to be sexual or not or whether it started off sexual and then it just became a genuine friendship either way is mm-hmm. uh, totally valid but like Gia learns to care about young Ja and and like they and they build like this budding friendship over it and they and but then they see like uh, I'm gonna call it an American occupation of Korea during this war mm-hmm. where like yeah uh, the Americans are on the hunt for the communist and 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 Gia and Young Judge is trying to get by. And then we get to about half halfway through the episode. I'm gonna skip over some things a little bit, but we can- also they, they related to each other in a way, honestly, where I almost thought maybe Young Ja was also a commute at one point in time. Cause it seemed yeah. like some of their conversation was almost veiled in a way where she was like, I really understand where you're coming from. And she seemed to mirror the experience um of Gia. Uh, and I, I kind of had that thought for a while. Yeah, it makes sense, but I would say Gia, while not human, is having a human experience. Like I, I think I because what this show is very good at is using like these supernatural situations to um, act as metaphors for right. real life, real life situations. So every almost, I'm sure there's not a lot of people out there that that can't relate to the idea of your parents wanting something of you that you just don't want for yourself, but then you going through with it anyways, because that's what's happening here, right? Like Gia has to kill a hundred men, uh, not really for herself. She doesn't really care about doing it or not. Like she's doing it because she thinks that that's what she's supposed to do, and that's what her mother wants. Yeah, it's the obligation to sacrifice yourself on behalf of the greater good of the family as a whole, or even even just mother-daughter relationships being very complicated and I need to do this thing. I have to go to Harvard. I have to go to Yale. I have to, you know, go to Georgetown because this is what my parents want or that's I'm coming from three generations of lawyers or whatever that commitment is that you don't have autonomy. Mm-hmm. You're obligated. And, then, and Young Ja comes in as someone who it's like, no, you can do it. You can do whatever you want. But this is also her first foray into feelings. Yes. It's the first yes. time she realizes that she does still have the capacity for the human expression of friendship. Yeah. And then so then we as the audience can ask ourselves, is the Kumiho really emotionless or was it just responding to the behavior that the mother was uh filling out right like her mother treated her like a monster so she right. acted like one and then someone co- when someone comes in and be like no you're not a monster you can do whatever you like you're 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 still you still have agency you still have you're still able to do whatever uh, whatever makes you happy then that's when the emotions start coming out and then we start seeing Gia as a more human figure or she starts seeing herself as a more human person in that maybe turning back into human may not be necessary right because she's yeah, well, the indoctrination again the idea that you are basically being molded and crafted by the people closest to you and again this idea of whether they're going to be mentors or tormentors um she is she is burgeoning and basically going through her adolescence if you will from being a child into coming into her own sense of self she's just becoming self-aware uh, if this is the kamihu um 
And that brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, right. Because and also I also question whether like Young Ja was you you, brought, you said the word indoctrination was Young Ja who may or may not have actually been a communist spy. But if she was, was she just trying to get her as a proselyte? Yeah, was she well, trying yeah, to convert was, her? Yeah, was she just trying to like like she saw she saw a vulnerable young woman and was she just trying to like mm-hmm. turn her over to her side? That's totally possible too. Like it the is show very plausible. Does not straight up answer that. Like and it doesn't shy away from those complications or that duality or duplicity in. Uh, and human personality, which is great. Yeah, exactly. Because like we see, we see the, uh, we see like the 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 manhunt for like communist party members in Korea. We see, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Young Ja talking about it and how like like people are seeing the communists just as much as monsters. I think that's where Young Ja is coming from, right? Like people see communists mm-hmm. as monsters, and so. Again, this show just themes on top of themes on top of themes. Layers on top of oh, layers. Oh, man. G, G, uh, and then Gia brings in another an American soldier to the house. And that's where we have the conversation where she rebels against her mother uh, a little bit. Like, the, she she is, she is refuses to take another soul uh, after taking number 99. And, like, she reduces Uma to tears. And, and, and again, it's just, it's just playing the balance of, like, where is the monster and where is the human in this situation, right? Like, Well, like we said, her relationship with Yonja is awakening. Um, a sense of autonomy yeah. and it gives her the wherewithal and the strength to stand up to her mom perhaps for the first time and to start making her own decisions and it is a it is a magnificent scene and again uh, Jimmy Chung is doing some magnificent work yeah and going, um, going back to what you said earlier when she does when she does ex- uh, exert that autonomy what is she doing with it she is hurting her mother basically like she's right. she 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 came from violence and so she feels like to have that power back she has to enact exact that same, that same amount of abuse uh, back to her so yeah which is the cliche that mm-hmm. the abused you know, are going to perpetuate that same abuse again. Um, and that unfortunately that in order to feel like you are freeing yourself and liberate yourself, you got to do it through revolution or through violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then right after that, we get uh, the introduction of Tick. Finally, the main character of the show finally Woo! shows up. Uh, oh, he's tw- in the show? 28 minutes in. Yeah, you could actually <laughs> cut cut a piece of the show up into that point and it could be a totally different show. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think uh, if 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 they hadn't if they hadn't focused on the Gia character and just made it from Tick's point of view, uh, I think w- things would be a lot more solidified by the end of it, by the end of the story. We would we would have we would uh, the show definitely wanted there to be both sides of the content. We want we they wanted they wanted us to see everyone's as many different points of view as possible, so that by the time we get to the end of the episode, we don't know what is right and what is wrong. Um, because we love everybody, we love all these characters, and we love where they're coming from. But also, we like we just want you all to love each other and be together. But right. we know, but we understand why you can't. But we just want you. <laughs> I think um, honestly, but I also think that we wouldn't have invested in Gia's character as much though. No, sure. I think had we started with Tick, we already have. Um, we already have history and so we already have bias to Tick's character and therefore that would have already painted her in a certain type of light and we would have approached her a certain way and I think we would have put restrictions on her similar again back to this whole thing with her mom who basically gives her parameters on who she is what she is and what she can do and I think by them they did a great job of humanizing her character because again we don't know anything about her we've seen glimpses of her but when they started her in that theater they immediately in that brief moment made her relatable and they made her a sympathetic character immediately so much so that by the time we get to her um exploding this dude at (laughs) at orgasm she's a monster 
and we're still on board with her story. There may be some people who that might have been enough to make them, you know, divest from her character. But I can tell you, I was still 100% on board because now the pathos and the gravitas of it were heightened exponentially. But I'm still concerned about that little girl. I'm still concerned about Gia. And also because she's not operating in her own her own office. She is... This is all being forced upon her. She's being forced upon by her mom to have to save the family. And then now that this spirit inhabits her, then she's being forced upon by this spirit in order to 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 conclude her mission. Yeah. And us knowing storytelling and knowing where the story must go from here, when we see Tick enter the picture, we're like, oh, shit, she's Ooh, got here comes the hero. Well, no, no. She's got one more soul to go. And the hero of the story just showed up and uh, we, we know something happens between them. So like, uh, I mean, I would like the show could have gone a bunch of ways. It could have been possible that Tick doesn't come back from Korea. And the person that we've been following this whole time was just like some other, <laughs> some other iterations, some, some other version of Tick or some or another Kumiho in, in the form of like, a, like the uh, Tick just becomes a male succubus going to America. And, and, and like, it, it, like, again, the show could have done it. But that bites you're right. We know that these two worlds are going to collide. It's funny because in that scene I think uh, one of the first so I, I was already anticipating I'm like oh that's Tick oh that's Tick oh that's Tick I was waiting for whoever's going to come in I'm like oh yeah that's going to be Tick that's going to be Tick that's going to be Tick <laughs> and again subverting our expectations uh, Tick comes in and as far as an introduction of heroes go uh, this is a standalone one yeah, um, it does, because the, same, he comes it does in, the same thing that you said that it did to Camille right like we get we get on her side and then we watch her mm-hmm, kill a man mm-hmm. and so when it brings in Tick we're already on his side because we've been we've right. watched five episodes of him like being and he's, a hero and he's problematic ass. don't get me wrong yeah. he, he is somewhat problematic and uh, there are certain things that we love about him and there are certain things that we're not as fond about uh, we do know that something has happened to the in the war that has transformed this man significantly and is the thing that is chasing him yeah. for sure so we know that this is an early version of Tick right um, but we don't and, and like he says he did bad things we don't know necessarily we don't know like what what, that to is. what degree that was but then he shows up yeah. and he shoots an innocent woman in the head and I mean he does it point blank unflinching he doesn't pause they, they they cut to a shot of his face and no it's like it's like, he, no, it's like it's like he stepped on a bug right he spit gum out just before he did it and he he pulled that trigger with the exact same of con- same amount of conscience um it is it is jarring and I'm confident that some people that drew a line in the sand for them with this character that they are not going to be able to find their way back to and this is that bold move that I said I was I wanted to see done uh, because I love it, but rarely is it actually attempted because you basically have made the anti-hero, um, not even the villain. It's something that I call the unforgivable act because I have a, I have a line too where if a character commits the unforgivable act, I can no longer pull a root for this character to win. And that should have been that moment with him, except that for me, I put it in context. You can't look at a person in wartime from a perspective that's not wartime. There's nothing that makes sense about war. There's nothing about being trained to go and kill someone you don't know and you've never met um, based upon orders. That's yeah. it. You're trained to perform orders. That's it. There's no um, there's no sense of 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 ethics to that at all none of this is about condoning the behavior but there's just you can't bring ethics into that act when it literally is kill this person because you're commanded to do it and you're the only thing separating you is uniform and everything else that that represents so you know this idea that how could he do that is unforgivable but in context he was a soldier 
he followed orders. And again, I know it's very hard for somebody to hear because they just feel like that means you're condoning it. And I'm not in any way at all. It is still murder and it is unforgivable. But in his office of what he was doing, he did what he was there to do. And that makes sense for the context that he's in. Not legitimizes it. Yeah, it's not. For yeah, his character. It's, it's not it's not condoning murder. It is. Con- no. It is condemning what war does to a person. Right. Because exactly. we know we know that. I mean, we can probably assume that Tick, based on what characters have said about him, he was just a well-read, skinny little boy who wanted to escape his father. And then when he and did a lot of push-ups and did mm-hmm. a lot of, and then a lot of push-ups when he gets to when he gets to when he gets to the war. And then everything that everyone is telling him after that point is you need to uh, shed away that emotion. You need to follow orders. You need to do especially him being like uh, a black a black man joining the army and like, i think yeah yeah i think his uh, his commanding officer was a black man also but like they're, they're probably in they're, this instance yeah in this instance like they're probably not getting like well treated in the 1950s uh and they probably escaped some and they you know they escaped some of that uh when they go to korea but there's still that there's still those problems there and so well, every everything everything that's happened to take up until this point has probably been telling him like you need to be less human you need to just follow orders you are nothing but a body that needs to go out and point and click well america has been telling him that yeah before he goes to the war you're you are army issue or government issue at best and that's only when we put this stamp on you to make you our fodder mm-hmm. other than that america has not owned him as a person or said that you have value um and not that he's also running from a father yes. who has been trying to beat his identity who's actually actually projecting on him and trying to beat himself through his son um so he's got that abuse as well and then you come to you know this situation where like you said i agree with you that the first time that this is done I'm sure that there is a a, I'm sure you wrestle with yourself morally or what have you but we don't know at this point how long he's been there you don't know like you said what what war does um, as it transforms you into the creature you need to be in order to survive that circumstance this show also has intentionally been dethroning the hero yes that's been very intentional so he comes in here as a depiction so again the United States occupying Korea was supposedly the hero but not for the people who live there yeah you know so again it's the same thing he comes in and this is not the hero that we need yeah when 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 tick and gia meet for the first time they are both monsters Uh, yes they are they're they're both as the world would probably see them outside of whatever they've been through they are they are both just these killers that cannot be redeemed in to any degree whatsoever and it's actually probably what they feel about themselves as well uh, oh, absolutely yeah I'm, like take i'm sure we, we see it later on because after this scene uh gia has to go back to living life just back go back to living her life after losing her best friend and we get that scene in the hospital where all the soldiers are coming in and it looks like they just brought in a bunch of injured injured soldiers and people are like trying to perform triage and trying to help all these guys and then gia sees tick lying on one of the beds and he's all bruised and bloodied uh he's he's injured he and then and even after that he's trying to he's just sitting by himself dealing with his injuries trying to read a book and and he's just like kind of pathetic he's super pathetic yeah he is he is immobilized he's emasculated and he's helpless and he is a baby and this is and this is literally like two minutes after we just saw him shoot an innocent woman in the head like again they're both they're the show is just it's just dips and dives when it comes to uh the monstrosities of these characters and then the humanity Mm -hmm. of them 
them. And it's really beautiful how it's done. And it's just written very well. It's shot very well. Like we get this close up shot of Tick's face and like ha- half of it is just bruised and we can't, he can't even open his his right eye. Uh, and, he, and he's just crying to himself. Shout out to Jonathan Majors. I think he's a terrific actor. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see it's him. an amazing job. Can't wait to see him in as the Kang, Marvel Universe. Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, that's gonna, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, and and then and then we start seeing like Gia, Gia decides I'm going to kill him. He's one of the people responsible for uh, my my friend's death. Uh, I am going to going to consume my 100th soul, and it's going to be this soldier. Also, though, there's the idea that his body was weaponized in its virility, but then when he's immobilized, we get back to the underlying humanity. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I thought it was it was cool that I didn't catch it initially, even though it was very obvious. But that if anybody was going to be able to find the humanity inside of a monster or inside of somebody's monstrous actions, who better than Gia? Exactly, right? Because I I don't think this would have worked out if they were both not wrestling with the fact that the, uh, we're not wrestling be- uh, with their humanity and monstrosities weren't wrestling against each other. Right. If either one of them was fully invested in, I am going to embrace the darkness and you know, I'm going to just go deep into the Tempest, then yeah, this it, it wouldn't have worked. But they were mm-hmm. both struggling and they both had the capacity to um to see more in each other. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what love <laughs> is all about? That we come bruised, broken, destroyed, tattered and torn by all the of life's vicissitudes. And then somebody looks beyond the uh, bandages and beyond the blood and beyond the brokenness and says, you know what? I see that beautiful beating heart underneath and it's speaking to me in a language which that only I can recognize and understand. Yeah. I think one of the one of the things that really got me was their uh, connection over the Count of Monte Cristo. Monte Cristo, yeah. And and the idea that and an interesting thing that Tick had brought up when they were discussing the book was that it was his father's favorite book. It was Mon- uh, it was Montrose's favorite, and he ca- and he came up with a bunch of different reasons as to why. Like maybe it was just because it was written by a black man. Maybe it was because mm-hmm. it's a story about revenge against your oppressors. Uh, multiple reasons. I do I do think it's really interesting that it was Montrose's favorite book. Uh, we're 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 seeing we're seeing that like Montrose is also the monster in this situation. Yet he still has these redeeming qualities uh, going along with like. Tick and 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 Gia and Gia's mom and it's 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 amazing and of course the, the, the you know this idea with the Count of Monte Cristo I thought it was again massively done this idea that she had seen the movie and hadn't read the book um, and and Tick was able to bring to her attention that there are two different endings and this idea of Montrose is definitely a leper messiah he is definitely another one who is a deconstruction I can't really call him a hero but he's a supposed to be hero he should be the hero for his son and he is not much like Gia's mother is not the hero for her and also that her mother didn't protect her you know these are two people who are both coming back again from from histories where the person you needed to rely on the the most is the person who did the most damage to you. What does the rest of the world possibly hold for you when the the, the first person that you are you you actually you know when you part the matrix and come out the safety in the sanctuary there is not that you come straight into a hellscape and you come right into attack you come into war essentially um and then spend the rest of your life running through i think what we're definitely seeing is that uh both gia and atticus are coming from a cycle of abuse Mm -hmm. and at first they're both just along for the ride they are they are a part of the cycle they are still throwing out as much abuse as their parents did and then it's I don't think they have a choice. Yeah, they don't. They, yeah, they don't exactly. feel like they have autonomy, right? Yeah, and I'm sure their parents didn't either. Like, I mean, that's the thing. That's what makes it a cycle. Where like, no one knows. No one. No one actively cho- 
chooses to do these terrible things. It's just that they feel like they have no other choice. And this this is something that's true for a lot of people down the line. And yeah. it, but it's not until they get together and through the power of love that they realize that, oh, no, we 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 have the choice. We can break the cycle right now and we can just be together. And yes, we are monsters, but we can do better from here on out. But, and, but we have the capacity to evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, the the tether between the two of them is they both are seeking escape. You know, Atticus has literature for his escape and she had film. Um, and Atticus, the best safe tether he had to his dad would be sharing that book and his love for literature because that wasn't gender-based. It wasn't about masculinity. It had nothing to do with um, your sexual identity. It was literature. It was a safe place we can both invest in a thing and share and and have some semblance of, of legacy, if you will, between us. And that was in those pages, you know, because at least there you can, you can dream it to be the way that you want it to be as opposed to being stuck in the nightmare of the loop that they were both in. And that's really... Again, it's great that they came together, had so many things in common, had these same paths. And I, I love the idea that it was simply we are both monsters. Mm-hmm. And I clearly think, uh, I just thought of this right now. I think it's also interesting that they seek each other when those escapes that you talked about, when they lose them, right? Like, take, yeah, take, right. Take, he can't take, read because his glasses are glasses shattered to shit. And, right. then her, and then the movie theater gets closed because right. the owners are accused of being communist sympathizers. And mm-hmm. so, like, she doesn't have her movies, she doesn't have her books, but they do have each other now. And that's what we see. We see the blooming relationship happening. We see Tick do the special movie screening of uh, Oh my God. The Gene let, Kelly, let, Judy Garland movie. <laughs> let's talk about this for a minute. Because, again, the layers. So in order for her to get onto the base to see Tick for this date, they they basically have to set up this fallacy that she's essentially just a street hooker yeah. that they're yeah. bringing onto the base. So again, it is a woman who's coming into the company of men who are then casting on her this 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 definition, this tawdry definition that of she's less repute, human, right, right, and then bringing her into a very unsafe space. So it seems. And again, in my mind, I said if he plays a movie on a projector I'm gonna lose my mind because that is gonna be so sweet and romantic and tender and loving and I'm I'm gonna like the man exploded in the viscera I'm gonna do it for different reasons <laughs> and when that shit happened I was like oh my god and I don't know again I can't speak for anybody else but at that moment I am not aware of his monstrosity. I'm not aware of her monstrosity. I'm seeing two two people of flesh that, and there's still war going on. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? There's still tanks and chaos and nonsense, and they're in an army base, which is still not safe, but within the cocoon of our little love cove, if you will, at that moment, this is a force field within which all things are possible and that everything and it's funny because like you said before like we're not everything that we were you know what I mean we can still be more and be different and change but when they lost their escapes he lost his book she lost her movies then we now are the time capsule of our experience and so that's what we then now can invest in each other that we can now be the actual portal by which I pull you into the best and the beauty of my experience yeah yes those things that we've been through made us who we are but that does not dictate us for the rest of our lives. Right. Because they found each other, it just leads to this really beautiful relationship that we see. And, oh. 
and 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 then we see them get together. We uh we see we we see we see that uh Gia when Gia is finally able to like she her tails don't have to come out when she has sex. Well, it shows that she has control. Yeah, to some degree I feel, over uh, them I, when I they have, manifest. Yeah, I have a theory. This has to do with like the the, the second to last scene, but like at, okay. at, at the at the very least, when the when the man comes to climax, right. uh, she, the, her tails don't have to come out. I I, I, feel, I feel like in that last scene, when that last time they were together, when the tails do come out, it's because she got a little bit too she excited. Came to climax. Yeah, she, ah. I, I, I feel like she lost a little bit of control because that, that might have been her I, first I orgasm. That. I agree with that. Well, I mean, I, you see, again, with the beauty and the poetry of him setting up through Uncle George's contacts, this this private viewing, and again, so foreign film, so classic, so beautiful, so romantic. And it's, and it's um, thanks to uh, Tick using the father that he would have wanted, the father that he prefers instead of the father that uh, he ran away from. Right, which is actually a great point because the father that he preferred set up a scenario where he was able to be the him that he prefers to be or his idealized mm-hmm. self, yeah. which is amazing. Great writing. Just great writing. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, that's fantastic. But yeah, so I, I yeah, I, I think that that's a good theory because um, it's definitely when they came to Climax is when she definitely consumed their souls. Um, and in that it, last one. But then like yeah. she and she bumps head with bumps heads with their mother again. Right. Because like her mother, mm-hmm. her mother expects you know, you have to kill this American soldier for the things that he did, the things that he did to your best friend. And then Gia and Gia and Gia is the things that we're saying. Gia says them out loud. Like, why can't I be me? Why do I have to be what you want me to be? Why do I have to do this thing? I am still your daughter no matter what. Uh, I did these horrible things because you. You told me to you 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 uh, she like and she and this goes into like her confrontation in the first the first time she confronted her about it too where it's like uh you are the you're just as much a monster you sat back and let horrible things happen to me and that turned right. that turned me into the things that i am uh and and, and then your solution was for me to become a monster on top of that yes and like so what was she's telling her basically telling her mother like what right do you have to call me a monster right without right. examining the fact that I've come from a monster. Exactly. And and I, and I, here I am actively making a choice to not be a monster anymore, to find love. You told me that I couldn't feel, that I didn't have emotion, that I wasn't human, but yet I found this these people, I found this and I found this man who right. can actually like bring that out of me, who makes me feel, who makes me feel love and feel and feel human like you never could. For the first time yeah. and watching Jamie Chung again struggle with those feelings and those emotions I feel like even with the beauty of what happened with the private movie screen it looked like she there was a part of her that still was on the mission to kill him yeah when she takes him home to seduce him that yeah, first I think, time I, th- I think that very first time even with the, the lovely the, that lovely day and everything like that I think she she was fully in, in, intending on killing him up to up to that point and then and then when he put that whoo when he started <laughs> putting that chocolate stroke on it but that changed everything all of a sudden I see possibly Possibilities. No, he deserves to um, live. He deserves to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, he got to live. Um, even <laughs> even a demon knows uh, that, that that good stroke is hard to find. But um, they still double down yet again. And and just in case the movie didn't work for you, the private screening didn't work for you. What could be more humanizing than? Tick is a virgin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like, and he is. He is by horror movie definition. He is the innocent. <laughs> yes, and the way he sets it up is so genuine and earnest that again, how do you juxtapose his introduction with? this person who's here and, and his explanation like I just want to be honest with you like I you're making me feel something I didn't know I could feel and again they are mirrors and that's the thing I love so much about it that they were mirroring each other you know the idea that uh, she's a monster but again 
she doesn't really have autonomy. She's doing it. It's imposed on her. And the idea of him being a monster because of the war, because it was imposed on him. Like they literally are mirroring each other in their monstrosity for whatever his count is and her body count is. They neither one of them ostensibly neither one of them was doing it of their own accord. Yeah. And him and him telling her that he's a virgin, it's him being vulnerable. It's him giving up whatever whatever power he has whatever status that he might have and kind of giving it up to her Mm -hmm. Um, like she even like just tosses him onto the bed and says I'm not and then like and then starts and starts uh, striding him and I think it's it's also an interesting uh, dichotomy compared to Tick's first time with Letty because Letty was the virgin in that situation Right. right and 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 I remember thinking to myself watching the episode where Tick and Lady get together. I was like, Tick, that was her first time. And that's what you do is just like a good like 30 seconds. And then like, no matter how good that was, man, you can't do better. <laughs> I was mad at Tick. <laughs> Tick. Tick didn't represent too well. Well, I think there are uh, countless millions of women in America that will probably <laughs> uh, beg to differ with you because I do think that they get caught up in something that... Uh, the appearance of something in the concept, but I feel you though. Yeah, yeah he could have went strong. I, yeah, I would say like Letty, Letty deserved better for her first time. Yeah, they may <laughs> have to get the the Ori or the multiverse machine and go back and do that over. Yeah, um, but yeah. So and, and then we see we see the relationship flourish, and then we see things things are good, things are happy, things are actually going okay. So now we know that something terrible must happen. Has to happen, absolutely. Um, and so the and that comes from the situation back in at Gia's house where I believe like she she got a little bit too excited and her tails came out and they get revealed to Tick. And then she does the suction cup <sighs> eye thing and she sees Tick's life flash for his eyes. She sees him getting beatings from Montrose. She sees uh she she sees the the them torturing uh I think it was I think it was young Ja that they were torturing in that situation. I couldn't mm-hmm. quite tell because it was kind of intense. And then she and she she sees things that are gonna happen in future episodes. She sees For Tick- the first time. Now this is the first time we see her seeing the future with all the other people she saw their past up until their current. Uh but with Tick for some reason she actually was able to see into the future. Yeah, and I think it's it's and it's because she's seeing their whole lives flash before her right like she's absorbing their soul she's taking everything that they are and i guess because and and i guess it's one of those things where like time is a construct time is it's time is a flat circle time is one of those things where like because tick doesn't die here she sees their whole lives no matter what so she Mm. sees things that happen in the future because she wasn't seeing anything that happens in the future for those other guys because that was the last moment of their lives right right? so she's seeing tick's life flash for her eyes and that includes him getting baptized in the church uh Mm. him and then him ultimately dying during the braithwaite uh during the Braithwaite ritual. It's soul extraction. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and Tick, you know, reasonably freaks out. Is it reasonable? That This is on the table. So this is the question. Yeah. Is it reasonable? I, I was mean, hoping it would come to this. <laughs> <laughs> is it reasonable? Um, can, can you not get over the nine tails? I feel I feel like she she did try to talk about it ahead of time. She tried to set him she up. Tried, she tried like, hey, look, you want to read this story about the Kumiho? Is this nine-tailed fox What the spirit? hell am I reading this for? <laughs> okay. This is a far cry from the Count of Monte Cristo, but anything you say, baby. She, I think she tried to ease him into it, but it she never- She was trying to ease him into it. It's one of those situations in a relationship where like she's aware of everything about Tick, right? Like I don't think mm-hmm. Tick is really held back anything at this point. Like she knows what he did. She's seen uh, the worst of him. Yeah, she's seen it. And he hasn't quite seen that out of her yet. No. I'm when sure is the appropriate he, time to tell somebody you got I, nine tails? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know when that could have been. Is which, there a good time? <laughs> but I will tell you, the best time is definitely not the time when you're in the middle of the act. <laughs> not as you're about to bust. Okay. That might be arguable. Um, <laughs> ah, I don't know. I mean, I have to say, honestly, I felt, I felt, I did feel a little upset that like he, he just 
bolted out of there and had no recourse at all to try and figure and, and get me I'm I'm saying this as, as romantic and just watching it from the outside that I'm far removed quite naturally I'm sure in real life he did the right thing and it happened you know? because like it's it's the show gave you everything you needed to justify like why he left immediately right like even before they're even before they're together and say he tells her uh, I've got I've, I have enough points to go back home right like I don't right, have I don't have me. to stay here anymore you can come with me or or something like that like we can be together forever I want that right. and then and then this happens and and i'm sure the very first thing he thought of when he ran out that door onto the street buck naked was she got nine tails she got nine tails i'm getting the hell out of here i'm going home fuck this shit i will never want to think about this ever again and 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 that's basically what happened he had if if tick hadn't had enough points and he had to stay and he just had to had to walk around korea for a couple weeks then i think he could have he could have settled with the idea and kind of eased into it and you know they could have sat down and had a few coffees and some discussions and you know i I think they could have they could have they could have worked out in the immediate though it is probably quite shocking Mm -hmm. um and probably the kind of thing that it, it could be a deal breaker it could be a deal breaker. Yeah, I can see that. I can uh, see that. Yeah, it was it was the worst situation that can can happen happen, and, yeah. and it was just in the right circumstances where no one ever had to think about it ever again. And we, but we do know that it did get to tick to some degree because, like, even after that experience, he still call he still calls Gia randomly. Uh, we don't know how often that happens. Like, I think right. it, uh, he, he he called her he called her once when they were at the Braithwaite house, Braithwaite house, but um, who who knows? Like, if he's been doing that over again, and she tried to warn well, him. She tried to warn him, like, you shouldn't have gone back home. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. Yeah. I mean that that again, as far as these literal and metaphorical, that is a soul tie. Their tie, their souls are tied together for sure mm-hmm. yeah whether um, it's romantically or not anymore like tick says in the in the finale like mm-hmm, we're mm-hmm. fam we're family now like we both well, we family now we both yeah, you can't put your, your two of your tail suction cups on my eyes and we're not gonna be family <laughs> we may be distant relatives but yeah, we, are, <laughs> we, we are, still we are, family we, we are family both in the <laughs> both in the uh, <laughs> literal and metaphorical now because i think yes I think, yeah tick brings it up in the end like we've been through so much we've done some terrible things and that mm-hmm. makes we're, we're all t- we're t- all together in this now yeah um, but the love is still real yeah yeah. You know, and and and, and he I don't to, know. He tried to deny it, but yeah, it's still there. I mean, well, I mean, he had to. Uh, I think he was in a position that unfortunately men have found themselves in. Um <laughs> and I think he, he 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 needed to and he had to. Uh but unfortunately he also was able to go back and correct that. He had that opportunity. Um is there if love is that strong and that powerful and you are cognizant of your own demons, who are we to then put the hierarchy and what are those hierarchies? I'm not saying we have to get into that, but it's like, you know, to to say, you know, that your sin is worse than mine. And then I guess this isn't even so much about the sin of it. I guess it's just more what remains of it and can I live with that when it expresses itself? And I don't know if that speaks to anger, hostility, um neuroses psychosis i don't know what that i'm not sure what the illusion of that would be but i guess that 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 like that seems to be the question um what's always, too much I've, I've always been of the mind that you can't compare people's pain and everyone mm-hmm. is bringing bringing different things to the table uh the things that count the most are what they do with that from there on and whether they mm-hmm. choose whether they choose to continue the cycle of violence where they, they they choose to take that pain either internalize it and use it as a weapon against folks um, or whether they choose to grow from it and try to make things better from everyone. Uh, Cause I think a lot of the times what happens is people take that pain and they try to express it and, and use it on other people. Right? Like I went through this, I went through this. So you, so if you end up going through this, 
it's basically what you deserve. Like I'm, I'm who I am because of this pain. You, if you, if you want to be on my level, you have to go through that same pain, which is nonsense to my thinking. Right. Cause it's like that, that doesn't help anybody. You should be able to take that pain and use, and use it as a way to make sure that no one ever has to go through it ever again. Again. See, those are the two things that we, we mentioned before. Only this time it makes me think about parents, the parents that were like, who don't teach you how to avoid a pitfall, but they're like, Oh, I went through it. You need to also go through it so that you can all, also build yourself up and and gain your own sense of self, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that whole I'll throw you in the ocean and you'll learn to swim mentality. Um, but no, then also like teach, teach me, teach me how to swim. If you teach me how to swim now, I will become a better swimmer than you ever were. Right. Because I because now both both of our energies are being pu- put towards this goal. Right. So like you went through that. Yes. Let me take my experience and your experience and and make something better out of it. Don't let just, your like, pain have purpose. Don't just repeat the same experiment over and over again and think that it's going to make a better result. Right. Well, we never grow. We never evolve that way um, because you're just going to perpetuate the same madness and it was what we said before again the idea that you know when the um oppress becomes the oppressor yeah oh, this is such, such a good show cycle. such a good yeah, show it's great. fantastic good uh, the, stuff the, the final Landmark scene in this episode. episode the final scene in this episode is uh uma and oh i'm sorry the scene where they meet and actually uh, oh man when they actually meet when she comes there to tell him um uh, that he killed her friend and that she knew about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, again, it's just, it's, it's awesome the way that what is essentially a breakup scene becomes a scene that pulls them together and they fall in love. You don't see this done. Again, that's, um, that's, that's, that's one of those things that we don't see enough in media where it's like, it's people communicating with each other. It's people, Oh my God. It's people saying what we all know and that what should be said and, and doing it in a way that brings them together. Like, being transparent, being honest and, but also standing in it together. They're not internalizing that pain. They're using it as a way to, to, accomplish, to reconcile, to reconcile and accomplish, accomplish that ultimate goal and bring themselves closer together instead of it being i'm attacking you you're coming at me and it puts us at odds and it makes us defensive and it puts it ostracizes us they actually used it in a way to break down barriers that caused them to fuse their souls together that shit was amazing yeah yeah like i turned you away because of the things you did but then i still love you anyways and and uh, and uh man it's, yeah it's uh, great show that was awesome <laughs> they, they can get in the war for that alone <laughs> uh, but yeah, the final scene is them talking with the, the Mudang to figure out exactly what Gia's visions mean. If, if it means that Tick is definitely going to die, which uh, which is like it's it's meant to be as a tease to what happens later on in the show to get us ready for uh, future events. But um, and the Mudang, who has clearly taken all of her fashion uh, her, her fashion cues from Erica Badu, when that hat came <laughs> up, if that had been Erica Badu, I would have howled. I'd still be screaming right now. Oh man, fantastic! I feel like I feel like, uh, like Erica Badu is going to end up on the show eventually. Like she wasn't she wasn't in the uh, the Hippo Hippolyta episode, was she? I wouldn't be surprised if she was. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't in there somewhere. She ends somehow. up being, she ends, she, uh, Erica Badu plays Beyonce. She's the thank the, you. That was exactly what I was about to say. That's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. Oh man, but yeah, this show this this was my favorite episode by far. Uh, I loved everything about it. It, it just had all the elements that I, it, it was it was love romance um and then they brought the the mysticism and the fantastic and the horror uh it it just this was such a satisfying episode from beginning to end it tackled very difficult things and it set up an impossibility in the middle that i don't think 
most people can pull out of. And some fans probably will have not. Some fans probably will never forgive Tick and will never see him the same throughout the rest of this episode. Um, but I just thought this was some masterful work. Oh yeah, and I'm sure. Just, I'm sure an episode where the main. I'm sure an episode where the main character doesn't show up till halfway through and that first half is spoken almost entirely in Korean. I'm sure that turned off a lot of people. Um, I mean, that's the thing about well, this show. I was show. thinking more of him just shooting the innocent woman in the head. But yeah, well, yeah Korean I mean, and, I mean, you know, that, that, a half well, hour show Here's up. the thing. Here's the thing. Like, there, I think there are more people who got turned off by... Uh, who, by got, who got turned off by, like, technicalities than they did by violence, sadly. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, especially watching the HBO show. I'm sure that... I'm sure they ended up happening, like... Um, there, there were less. There were more people turned off by the subtitles than there were by the by the violence of the episode. And speaking of the subtitles, my favorite thing about the subtitles is when it says something like "disquieting music." <laughs> the descriptions of music are priceless. I almost will start watching everything in subtitles now because some of those descriptions are just classic. Yeah, uh, and maybe one more one last thing is like the show. The show does a really good job of using like anachronisms. Um, we we see in other episodes where like a hip hop track will come on right. during a scene. Uh, in this one, they had used an interview with Judy Garland yes. uh, as they were as they were walking to, towards the the Mudong, and uh, and you hear Judy you hear an old interview you hear an uh, interview with Judy Garland later in her career as like uh, as Gia is like staring down the fox on the snowfield, which is just beautiful imagery and like all and it's all about like the the perceptions that people have have of you and and trying to like grow and trying to grow and maybe like expand out of those uh, preconceived notions that people put on you but it's also coming from the voice of a very tragic figure yes um whom the industry itself and that thing that could have been her her savior was probably the very thing that ultimately discarded her um chewed her up spit her out um and then left her um a very damaged um and again a hopeless and tragic version of herself um i i thought it was one of the more effective and brilliantly used of the anachronistic um voiceovers i thought it tied this episode up in a way that was so sad and poignant and that perfectly suitable for everything that happened and how crushing it was that when they went to the Mudan um, and <laughs> and the Mudan basically was telling her that you are concerned about human issues. <laughs> that doesn't apply it's, to it's, you. This ain't your lane. It's the Mudan coming from the other side of it, right? It's her telling us like, no, be a monster. Why would you want to be something as small as a human? grow from that embra embrace the darkness and become something greater but it just it also just seemed like she was really dashing the possibility that she was anything other than the monster yeah but and that the, you really yeah. don't have that option yeah from the mudong's point of view that's not a bad thing so it's it's yeah it's it, we have we have like three points of views happening on this mountaintop which is really interesting um david this is great do you have any final thoughts on this episode or maybe on the series as a whole because we are recording this after the entire show has uh has after the season has finished after the finale and everything like that so if you have any final thoughts or anything you want to get out um i think uh, i i really don't want to repeat any of the cliches obviously you know people like this is the most important show in the past decade uh this is uh must watch seminal viewing all that kind of stuff all that stuff is true um again it hasn't been totally satisfying um you know i think uh but but again i think that the things that it has attempted to do even with stuff like gore for example because i'm not a gore hound but I found that they have always found a way to use the gore in a way that is so substantial and meaningful that is always infused with um, 
it's it's always used with a purpose that is so worth it. That's the payoff not, of it. It doesn't fetishize. It's not just gratuity for gratuity's sake. Yeah, it's not fetishizing the violence. It is showing like, no, we're showing you horrible things because horrible things are happening. Well, that, but then also, it also represents something so much more substantial. It, it, it's representing... Um, you know, it, it dawning an identity in order to find your identity and then you lose your identity and the shedding of your skin and the shedding of souls and covenant. And I mean, just it's always so much more than what it appears to be on the surface. Um, but yes, it is also a very clear depiction of the horrors and the monstrosity of things that are going on all the time, the systemic race, just all these different things. It's, it's such a gumbo of, of magnificent um, elements. But um, yeah, I think it's just it's it, it is. It is mandatory viewing, regardless of what you come out on the other end of it with and how you feel about it. Um, there's always something to derive from it that is just is unique and encapsulated in an experience that it's going to be very hard. You'd be hard pressed to find uh, in another television series. So that is you know, high, high praise. Love yourself. <laughs> high praise coming from one uh, David Hepburn. Uh, yeah. David, this was excellent. If, uh, if people want to hear more from you, hear more about you or find out what you happen to be doing out there in the world, where can they find out? Uh, they can find me on Facebook or IG and they can look up Black Improv Alliance and anything that we have going on will be on Facebook and um, on on Instagram uh, and that's about it other than that I might uh, pop up periodically uh, here alright excellent excellent uh, yeah you are welcome back anytime my friend anytime oh uh, thank you this was wonderful I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity and the platform to come here and just share some thoughts and some ideas alright thanks for thanks for being here man thank you so much let's get into it cool Remember the day of horseless carriages and divorceless marriages. Dear Miss Garland, I presume that in your memory you've enough room to reach infinity for that vicinity. And that is the episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to David for being such a great guest. Episodes like this one really are turning out to be some of my favorites. If you want to follow David, his links will be down in the show notes. Check him out and check out the Black Improv Alliance. They're doing some amazing work in theater performance and comedy, especially with their 100 Black Improvisers initiative. And like I said, click the link down below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a five star rating on iTunes. Tell a friend about the show. If you don't like what we're doing, tell your enemies. I am at Auntie Chris Rivero on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to suggest a topic for the show or leave feedback, reach out to me on in my defense podcast at gmail.com. If you want to be on the show, you can fill out a form on the website at in my defense podcast.com. Uh, before I go, this episode is being released on the day of the 2020 general elections in the US, quite possibly the most important election in many of our lifetimes. If you are listening to this and you haven't voted and and you're registered, please consider heading to your registered polling place before the end of the day and making sure your voice is heard. The very first episode of In My Defense was about voting. Go back and listen. Voting isn't sacred. It isn't something that's meant to be hoarded. It's a duty that we as citizens have to make sure as many people as possible are being spoken for and being helped. Uh, when there's a bunch of old white men telling you not to do something, in my experience, it's probably the best thing you should be doing above all else. 
Uh, either way, if we're all still here a week from now, I will see you next week with another geek on the In My Defense you podcast. When you call me dearie, it was down where the bluegrass grows. Your lips were sweeter than julep when you wore a tulip and I wore.